from the desk below. Welcome back from the season six from the desk low. And you know me, I always have to show love to Detroit because my very first guest was Kid Vicious. So that means anybody from Detroit is automatically gets the first spot for the season one uh, for the season six premiere and every first episode for each season from there on out. You can look at the track history. So for this season six, I decided to reach out to somebody who I found through. Actually, Kid Vicious recommended him, but he didn't catch my attention until I heard him on Apollo Brown's amazing album, Sincerely Detroit. So without further introductions, I have Leif Erickson on the phone. Yo, yo, what up, though? How you doing today, sir? Man, I'm good. Just a little under the weather, but you know, um, we, we doing what we do, you know. We live in Michigan, so we know what wintertime is all about. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm up here in Canada, so I definitely feel you on the cold stuff up here, too. The winters up here are crazy. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, Thanks for having me. Oh, anytime, Leif Erickson. Um, well, let me tell you something. When I did my research on you, I discovered Smash Television and Advanced Prep, so we'll get into all that in a minute. But um, I'm curious. Um, Let's talk about the beginning for Leif Erickson, too, because I understand that the late Batten from Slum Village was the first to take you under his wing. But let's talk about before that, about your passion for hip-hop and where that came from. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah, sounds like you did a little research there, okay? Uh, yes, uh, I love Detroit uh, hip-hop, too, so yeah, so I definitely did my research on you. Okay. Well, um, you know, hip-hop, of course, has been in the bloodline. Uh, for a long time, uh, we, we have a, a history here that a lot of the world didn't know about. But, you know, of course, Awesome Dre, Chaos and Maestro, uh, DJ Los and Easy B, uh, Detroit's Most Wanted, AWOL. Uh, th those were the cats that, that, that I looked up to. Um, but with me and this music, um, I started writing in like mm, probably ninth grade in terms of rapping and stuff but i didn't really take it seriously until till i got out of high school um you know discovered the hip-hop shop um out on seven mile i would just go there and kind of just observe because i didn't think it was my time um you know just cipher in the neighborhood and stuff like that and um probably around 96 97 is when I started to really get into it more. Okay, so like, so like in a time in high school too, you would just hone in your craft, like uh, shopping in your sword, as you would say. 
Yeah, you know, because because I I really didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so so it, it's crazy. I mean, I've been writing for a long time, but I wasn't quite rapping out in the public yet. Because you know, I'm a journalist. I I started. I was working at the Detroit Free Press in 1992, uh, covering high school sports. So, mind you, I'm in high school. I'm 15 years old at that time. <clears throat> but in terms of hip hop and and actually me rapping out in the public and recording, that didn't happen until like 96, 97, um, when I was recording with Dwelle. Okay. Uh, Dwelle, yeah, Dwelle used to rap back then. And he went by the name of Modak, which stood for more of them abstract tracks. And Dwele, yeah, we all know him, you know, Grammy winning singer, but Dwele could rap his behind off. Like, for real, Dwele was dope. Well, not a lot of people know that Dwele could rap back then, too. Yeah, yeah, but, but now don't get me wrong, he made the right decision because it's so many rappers out there, but for him producing... Um, and then, of course, with him singing, I think he made a pretty good decision. Oh, yeah, I'll definitely say he has some classic hooks out there, too, when it's just so strictly soulful dweller. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay, so that gives me a more introspective, too, because you being a teenager, too, as a high school sports reporter, too, that's very interesting, too, because... That's a totally different line from being a rapper, too, as a journalism and a rapper. Back then, that was unheard of. of like, doing both between uh, being a journalist and a performer, too. But nowadays, an example like Nori, that's, like, the normal nowadays. But back then, that really wasn't really thought of back then. Yeah, well, you're right. But see, sports was always something um, that I really... Music was my first love, but when I got into sports and just the history of sports, that's what built my ability to write and decipher things. And I hooked up at the Free Press, uh, my good friend Jamel Hill. Um, she got me the job. She was a year older than me. Um, I had a telephone interview, and I would just be writing stuff down, <clears throat> and I was afraid to really incorporate my love for sports at first until the great Fife dog, you know, when I would hear him say stuff, I'm like, man, okay, it's not corny to talk about sports. Because <laughs> 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 I was afraid at first, you know, I'm a kid. I, I didn't know how to do this, but, you know, plus Fife uh, was short like me. Um, I consider myself an underdog because I'm from Detroit. And people didn't really know us for hip-hop, even though we had a burgeoning scene. Yeah. They knew us, you know, for the Motown stuff. So I'm like, and then even beyond Motown, Detroit is known for gospel. Um, so as a matter of fact, um, I was Christian as a baby by Aretha Franklin's father, C.L. Franklin, who, who back in the day, back in like the 60s or 70s, C.L. Franklin was more known than Aretha was, you know. It, it wasn't until, like, like the 70s when the script kind of flipped, like, oh, okay, that's Aretha Daddy. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Okay. so we got a deep history in, in this city, man. Yes, sir, because uh, and even as time throughout went on, too, Detroit 
music scene even got even more legendary when hip-hop became more in the forefront, like in the late 90s and the early 2000s. Yes, yes, uh, we did. I mean, there, there were things that were going on before I came into the scene, but when I first saw stuff firsthand personally, um, not just, you know, from hearing it, but seeing it and being there was 94 at the hip hop shop. Mm. Um, that Legendary. was Maurice Malone. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. It was, it was the, it was the stuff, man. Maurice Malone and you know, five Ella would be in there. So it was mud, dime proof and uh DJ head would be in there DJing and it would be all of these cool clothes, uh, different artists would come to town. And I'm like, man, this is the spot to be, you know? So really, no, I take that back. It wasn't 94 for me. It was 95 for me. Okay. Um, not that far. Yeah. Though. Yeah, not that far. And, but, uh, yeah, not... and the names that you said for the people who ain't in tune to Detroit hip hop, Time, Mud, and Proof were a group called Five Elements back then. Yes, yes. Five Ella and, um, you know, JD or, or Dilla is, is some of y'all know him. Um, he produced the album. Um, it was dope, and you know they they were doing their thing. You know, um, I still call him JD because that's actually proof when he first told me about him, referred to him as John Doe. But I thought proof was just being silly because yeah. he didn't want to share the connection. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, dude, you just don't want to share the connection. What's his name? He kept saying, I'm telling you, his name is John Doe. And <laughs> sure enough, John Doe was JD. JD became Dilla, J Dilla, Dilla Dog, <laughs> you know, so, yeah, man, it was dope. And for you being around at that time, too, you actually got to see the making of, like, Detroit sound, too, because, like, I always say this, too, it's documented. Yes, Eminem did introduce me to Detroit hip-hop scene, but what made me really fall in love with that was that J Dilla sound and Fat Cat, I was like, I just... The first time I heard Fantastic Volume 2, it was like, it was over for me. I was like, this is what I want to listen to for the rest of my life. Yeah, I, I feel you, man. I mean, that was an incredible album. I can't lie for SV. My favorite album is Volume 1, um, even though Volume 2 to me is ridiculous, bananas, incredible. Um, but yeah, it was, it was just a whole different time. Um, of course, Eminem uh, throughout the world... But even before M in Slum Village, you know, you had some of those other cats I named. Like uh, MC Detroit's Breed. Yeah, Breed, you know. Um, he, he was from Flint, but we claim Breed here in Detroit because, you know, Breed showed love. I mean, Breed was a cat. I only got a chance to meet him a couple of times, but Breed was a cat that showed love. So Detroit loved Breed. But, you know, of course, there, there was Esham. There was Awesome Dre. Um there was uh, Smiley. There was Boss. I mean, so we had artists. You know, Detroit, at that time, of course, it was New York and L.A. that got the attention. Yeah. But Detroit always had heat. Always had heat. Yes, yeah, sir. Even even, even in the late, uh, even in the late 80s, too, like what you said, too, with uh, DJ Los and e, uh, ESLB, they were the first um, artists from Detroit to actually have a major record deal back then. Well, you had them, and you also had Awesome Dre, um, who was on Priority, I believe. Oh, yes, right. I forgot Priority. Yeah, and, and speaking of Awesome Dre, I just hosted a show 
last Friday. Um, it was the 30th anniversary of his album, Austin Dre and the Hardcore Committee, You Can't Hold Me Back. That was just last week that we had the party. Ooh, wow. Right before the New Year's as well. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Hard to believe. Yeah, but that joint dropped in 1989. Oh, my <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So for, for you being around like in the late 90s, too, and actually seeing this, too, when you met Proof, that now, did you meet Firstborn around this time, too? He's uh, sometimes off and on co-host, too, so shout out to Firstborn right there. That's my guy right there. Um, Did you meet him around that time, or did you meet Firstborn sometime around later? I met first in the probably early 2000s, but first is the man. Uh, first knows everybody. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, like, he does. <laughs> you know, and um, yeah, I think I met him like 2001, 2002, but he, he always showed love. Um, he, he told me a lot of stories that I'm not going to tell right now. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 please you know, don't. You know, but now first is a real good dude. And uh, I haven't seen him in a little while, but every time he see me, it's like, I got to pull out the pit. Oh, I saw him at the Detroit music awards. That's what it was. But every time I see him, it's like, I got to take out a pad and pen. Cause he put me up on something new all the time. And, and and see that that's very rare to find nowadays too to someone for someone to sure keep showing genuine love over and over again too because most days people will only show love when you have a hard record but it's the genuine love that keeps coming every time it's the same energy every time you see them. Yeah, no, no, no doubt. I mean, uh, Firstborn is 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 a good dude. Um, I know Proof was. Um, if not his best friend, I know that was one of his best friends for sure. And, um, you know, they, they were really building a legacy here in the city. And um, shout out to Firstborn again. We did um, a Proof tribute episode um, for his birthday. Um, now I get, now that I'm older, I get what Proof was trying to do to Detroit hip-hop scene too. He was trying to unify it too because I, I every time I hear stories about that genuine soul he always checked up on people and made sure the bullshit was out the way and wanted people to collab too and that's why Proof was so loved and missed in Detroit to this day yeah Proof, Proof was uh was like I don't know I guess he was like the mayor um would there, there would be cats to come from out of town and whatever open mic or whatever show was going on Proof was bringing him in. Um, uh, I remember him bringing Killer Priest here. Um, I think maybe Corrupt here. Uh, just everybody was coming to town, and they they knew Proof. Um, I remember at the hip hop shop one time, um, Big L walks through the door. Oh wow! And, yeah, and and, tr and check it out though. They always had artists come to the shop, but this day it was like nobody there. It was like maybe three people. Um, it was Big L, um, whoever his homeboy, I can't remember, but whoever his homie was kicked one of the, one of the five best freestyle verses I've ever heard in my life. Like he, he was rapping over the, uh, the who shot you beat okay. and he just killed. I, I don't, I don't, I just know this dude was about six, five. He had a stocking <laughs> cap on and he was smoking a black in my, I don't know his name, but he was ridiculous. And, um, yeah, Proof was in there. 
I think Bazaar may have been there that day too. I'm not sure, Ooh. but um, yeah, it, it was only a few people there. It was just on a random Wednesday, Thursday afternoon at the hip hop shop. Yeah, and um, and that place is legendary to this day too because there was a lot of history within that shop too. Like um, I think I and I, and I think I may be wrong, no, but I could be right. I believe that's where Fat Cat met Gangstar. You might be right. I'm not sure. Um, I know they did have the um, affiliation with the uh, uh, Payday Records or yeah. whatnot. Yeah. I have to go back and check the interview really? because I did ask him that when I did interview Fat Cat. Okay. Yeah, you, you, you may indeed be right. Shout out to Fat Cat. A big shout out to Ronnie Arrow right there. Um, yes, so with you, um, in the late 90s too, when did you meet Dyke Kim and, and form the group Advanced Prep, um, Leif Erickson? And did you go by Leif Erickson b- back then too? Man, how the hell do you know this? <laughs> <laughs> I this just, is crazy. I just tapped into Detroit hip-hop. I love Detroit hip-hop. And a lot of people say, how do you know that? I'm like, I'm just a genuine fan. Man, that, that's crazy. Um, Dyke Kim. I went to high school with his brother, um, went to a school called Cass Technical High School, or Cass for short. Uh, Cass is a well-known high school. Uh, everybody from John DeLorean to Diana Ross to Donald Byrd went there. So this particular day, uh, me and his brother, you know, when you get out of high school, you go visit your college teachers when you come back home yeah. your first year. and. I remember a few months before that, I met his brother, Doc him, at a Bahamadia concert at St. Andrews. And, you know, his brother's like, yeah, this is my brother, he rap. And I'm just looking at this little, you know, this little nerdy dude. I'm like, you know, 18, 19. I'm thinking, like, man, this little dude don't rap. So, <laughs> so whatever. But later in the year, or a couple months later, whatever it was, I don't remember, um, he said, yo, come to the crib. So I go over there, and his brother is playing beats, and he rapped, and I kicked something, and I could tell they really wasn't feeling it. So I said, I tell you what, kick one of your writtens. I'm a freestyle about whatever you just wrote about, and for whatever reason, they was feeling that. And I remember he played a beat, and I said, man, you about to produce my demo, and he laughed at me. And little did I know, years later, we would become, um, not even years later, we became Advanced Prep. Uh, we eventually changed that name to Autopilots, um, which is spelled A-U-D-O-P-I-L-O-T-S. Um, and Autopilots is now four people instead of two. Oh, wow. Okay, so you guys added two more people to the group. Yeah, Autopilots, uh, me, Doc, uh, my homeboy, um, uh, my brother Blake Erie and my brother AC Poole. Okay. Now, I was curious when the album Underground Lair was released. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, in 1997, um, I was in a group called Usual Suspects, and we had a studio session from 12 p.m. to about 11.30 that night. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. They wanted to go out to the bar after that. I said, no, nah, drop me off over my man's Doc Kim house. 
So I leave the studio. I go over to Doc's house. And this was back in the days of like four tracks. And, and analog. I don't even, yeah, stuff like that. Like you, you got to record it. You mess up one take, you got to start over. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. I get there at midnight. And by 10 o'clock the next morning, we had recorded the entire first tape. Oh, wow. That was in one night. Jeez. Yeah, just one night. So I never slept from the studio session with the usual suspects. You know, I just get there. I have my lyrics. I was ready to go. I'm like, let's do it. And boom, and we knocked it out. Okay. And then and then when, when you guys were making this in that one night, too, did you guys come up with the cover? Or that didn't come until later? Um, I think that came a little bit late. Doc was, he he's, man, he, a word I don't use often is genius. Doc's a genius. Okay. Like, like to me, there, you know, there are musical genres. There's jazz, hip hop, country. Doc is a genre within itself, like seriously. So, and he was 15 when I met him. So, you know, I'm a couple years older than him. He came up with all of that later. My name wasn't Leif Erickson back then. My name was DL, which, of course, I changed later because it would have been a public relations nightmare. Like, ah, oh, DL. I'm like, no, that's not what it means. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, let's not do that. So, you know, I remember a cat asked me what DL stands for. We were battling each other. And I just started rattling off stuff. I was saying... Uh, Detroit lifestyle, drink liquor, dangerous linguistics, my thoughts sicker, you know, just, just coming up with different stuff like that. Um, so that's what DL stood for. Okay. And then when did you make the initial change to Leif Erickson too? Like, did, was that any of Batson's input or did you kind of do that on yourself too after when DL, oh, I don't even know even if you called yourself something else after DL. Um... I changed that name. I can't remember the year, but okay. I, I knew I was gonna. Yeah, I knew I was gonna change the name because to me, DL and keep it on the down low. Those were so popular catchphrases. I knew it had to be like at least fifty other rappers named DL. Yeah. Um, as a matter of fact, um, I know there's a rapper in Canada uh, named DL Incognito. So I was like, all right. This can be no more. Um, but I think the, the the stamp of approval for me changing my name, uh, some girl that I used to host shows for, she put my name on the flyer, and I forgot why she called it that, but it was so embarrassing. I said, okay, I can't go by this name anymore. So Leif Erickson uh, was the explorer who explored North America about 500 years before Chris Columbus, and... I said, I want to explore the world through my music. Greenleaf is my government last name. So I said, yo, Leaf Erickson, it works. Oh, see, and this is why I love when artists do interviews, because you didn't just come up with the name. I'm going to call myself Leaf Erickson. There's meaning behind that. Yeah, it was a. I remember reading about him when I was in fourth grade, but our history books only had one little paragraph about Leaf Erickson. And... I remember asking my teacher, I said, well, if he was here before the year 1000 and Christopher Columbus was here in 1492, why don't we honor Leif Erikson? My teacher told me to be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> so, <geez. laughs> you know, 
so that always stuck with me. Like, and plus, like I said, with my name being Greenleaf, I'm like, this this means something. So when I got older, I just started to read more. Um, but you know, a lot of schools and a lot of historians they tried to ban reading material on Leif Erikson. You know, oh, really? They, they, wow. Yeah, they really. I mean, there's there's a big history. I mean, there were so many people here before Chris Columbus. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it, it it was people before Leif Erikson, but the way he got here was a story that stood out to me because you know they used to write sagas like the Icelandic sagas, um, which were really uh, like poems almost describing you know the travels and the journeys. Um, of of you know the different explorers, so that itself right there is musical. So to me, it made sense. Okay, and I'll and I'll keep it all the way buck. When I was doing research on you, that's what kept coming up. I was like, I've never heard of this, <laughs> like the first European in North America. And I just went on a rabbit hole after that. I was like, wow. And and that and then that a time too, like when when I first reached out to you to um. I didn't know there was that much history between you until I actually started doing the research. And I'm like, wow, like, he really is, like, Detroit to the fullest, too. Because it even shows within your music, too. Now, when I listened to Smash Television, um, Idiot Box, that gave me, like, the feeling of, like, when I heard Fantastic Volume 2, I was like, it's 2020, and I never thought I would get that feeling again. And when I heard that, I was like, damn. not to say, like, you know, other artists from Detroit ain't keeping the sound alive, too. But when I heard that Smash um, Idiot Box album by Smash Child, I was like, wow. Wow. You, you know what? Um, you know, much love to um, my homie Jack Connery, the, the other MC, and, um, and he produced... Uh, everything on there except for one song. My homie Crate Digger um, produced the song. But yeah, that that album just came from just frustration. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay, so like that would explain like some of the like the skits in this in this um album. Yes, yes, uh, uh, a lot of different peaks and valleys um, on that album because you know my father was was sick and getting ready to pass away. Um, but before that happened, like way back, if you notice, the album starts off, you know, it's kind of fun, kind of, you know, but then middle ways, it kind of starts to, and then towards the end, it just gets really dark. <laughs> yeah, even like with like 2012 too, I was like, that's one hell of a way to end off an album. And this was in 2010 you made this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, because just, just, you know, John Connery is probably the smartest person that I know. So when we would get together and he would kick his verses, I'm like, damn, you know, I, I really got to come with some stuff because he, he was just so intelligent with his wordplay. I'd be like, man, um, like he has this line on one of the songs where he said, hopeless like Moses holding broken tabs, like like Moses holding the tablets back in the Old Testament. And I'm thinking, I'm trying to picture Moses holding tablets and them falling apart. And I'm like, what would make you say that in a rap? <laughs> <laughs> like, like, how did you come up with the, the thought process for that? You know, so, 
Yeah, dude, dude is, is is amazing. And in some way, the most like standout lines like that will make you actually like look up things about that artist too. It's like he said what? Yeah, yeah. Like I remember hearing that as we were recording it, I couldn't believe what he was saying. Like. I can't rap with this dude if he's gonna keep rapping like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like I really have to come with my A game every time, you know. And okay, so would you say you um when did you meet John Connery too? Was this in two thousand ten or you had a long history with him before that? Like well like even during like the, the great big nothing? Uh the homie John Connery, I met him uh, I can't remember the year because I was really drunk when I met him. Okay, okay. And, and and apparently his girlfriend at the time, his girlfriend, you know how people are like, hey, my boyfriend raps. He's like, yeah, 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 whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So I just kind of just, yeah, yeah, yeah. It. And he reminds me about this all the time. I wasn't trying to diss him. I was just like, don't introduce me to another rapper that's going to suck, basically. Yeah. You know? So that had to have been, ugh, I'm a guess, oh, oh six, oh seven, maybe. Okay, okay. So this was around the time of the Great Big Nothing. Yeah, cause cause the Great Big Nothing came. It was supposed to come out in oh five, but it ended up coming out in oh six. Um, it's called the Great Big Nothing for a variety of reasons. Um, one of them being we didn't care how the mix sounded at all. We were just going to put it out, you know, and that's why, you know, that's what it was. And people tell me like, oh, you dropped an album, you about to blow up. I'm like, no, that's not how this works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot of people think like once you drop it, choose out of here. I'm like, this got to build a fan base. You got to build promotion. You have to work your way up. But most people, they think once you drop you out of here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this this is this is completely different. I mean, this isn't like the days when. Chris Cross went to the mall and Jermaine Dupree saw them wearing their clothes backwards and signs them to a record deal. You know, it, it doesn't, I think that's kind of how the story went, or that's at least part of it. You know, those days are over and it's not like I was looking for a record deal at that time. I just wanted to put out some music that represented how I felt, you know? And um, I'm assuming that you had a website, because this was in 2006, and I remember the promotional game back then when MySpace and the internet was really starting to get popping, like, people were starting to figure out the promotional sides between the internet. Um, did you have a website for The Great Big Nothing? No, honestly, I didn't. Um, but MySpace, and oh my goodness, I missed MySpace so <laughs> yeah, much. It was hard as hell to figure out at first, but once you got used to it, it was golden. Man, um, yeah, my, my man's Tashir, the Energetic, uh, put me up on MySpace, and it was so easy to connect to people. Like, re I reluctantly joined Facebook. Um, I, you know, on Instagram, it took me forever to, to get on that. But I was on MySpace up until about 2009. Oh, wow. And yeah, yeah, because I was literally still getting, uh, you know, paid shows out of town, uh, paid features, you know, is you know, but once, 09, that's when I had to transition. I think I joined Facebook in either 09 or 010, but I can't remember. Okay. And, uh, yeah, I was still, because my whole thing was, 
I see. I shouldn't be sharing one of my secrets, but forget it. I'll share it. My whole thing is, if everybody is over here doing that, then I can do this and go ahead and you know spread my fruits to. Because if put it like this, if everybody's on Facebook, that means we're dealing with the same audience. Everybody on Instagram, we're dealing with the same audience. But if I go to, I don't know. Let's just call it wheat grass and orange pepper you know if, if i go to that site that's a completely different audience because nobody's over there and i'm okay with that you know so some of those same people that were on myspace ended up being some of those same people on facebook but you know i always look for that different audience that people aren't paying attention to yeah, because when everybody else goes right, you go left. You like to think, well, like, well, if everyone's going this way, there's got to be something else this way, and it could work this way. Yeah, yeah, and and it's probably I'm sure it's a million people that think like that. But if you if you know that you have something, you work that. You know, you you work that magic, and that's what. <clears throat> excuse me. That's what I continued to work, and like I said, it was up to two thousand and nine that I was still getting booked out of town because of MySpace. And that just shows, like, the longevity of things like that, too, because, like, I honestly thought that was dead in 2000. I never knew people were still using it, but I thought that's when, like, that's when Twitter was coming out, Facebook, like you said. So that just shows, like, what people could still use to this. Like, well, I don't think it's on to this day, but even 2009, that's incredible just to get paid for shows back then. Yeah, it, it was it was amazing, <clears throat> but it started to get worse and worse. Uh, every time you look up, uh, somebody is, you know, you're getting spammed, you're getting hacked because somebody is selling you Gucci purses or sex pills <laughs> or whatever. I'm like, okay, it's time to go. So I did Facebook and eventually Instagram. I'm not on Twitter. I think I'm too boring to be on Twitter, so I just... I don't know. I just don't do Twitter. Okay, everybody has their things that work for them, too. And, and to be honest, I don't think anyone uses Twitter that much anymore. It's, like, mostly Instagram, I see. Yeah, Instagram is, is, is pretty cool. Um, <clears throat> I, I like how Instagram functions. Um, i tell you one that I missed. Oh, what is that joint called? Uh, my, my boy Strife uh, calls it a blog on steroids. What is that joint? Um, was it uh, Tumblr? Oh Tumblr, yes, what, yes, I remember that. Yes, people still use that. They do. Yes, sir. Okay, I, I need to remember my password because because Tumblr, man, I, I really I didn't quite know how to get the success of some of my other homies on Tumblr, but Tumblr was fun. You know, I used to, I, I didn't really do a whole, whole lot of promotion on Tumblr. I just used to, you know, discover, I don't know, recipes on Tumblr. Like, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I was getting food recipes on Tumblr. <laughs> this is like before Reddit, too. So that was like before I had, that was like ahead of its time. See what I'm saying? Yeah, man, I I, I miss Tumblr. I'm a, you know what? Thank you. You didn't gave me a homework project for tonight. Okay, yeah, most definitely. I love when I can spy all the people. Um, <laughs> so, so, so you being from Detroit too. Now, um, I noticed that you have him on your Facebook too, and uh, he's actually the general 
of uh, the crew, I'm with that feeling. Um, I'm curious on how you know MLK Socks, but he used to go as Defocus back then. Ah, okay. I don't really know no Defocus, but it's it's kind of like a loose connection. You know how social media works. Yeah. You know, but but he's definitely someone uh, that I wouldn't mind linking up with because I see how he's moving, and I'm all about positivity. And when I see you moving positive and you're doing good things, so hopefully, um, if he's interested, time permits, I'd definitely like to rock with D-Focus. Oh, yes. He, anyway, he actually uh, went to a transition now. Um, he goes by MLK Socks or Mark Socks for, for he has it goes by variety, but it's either MLK Socks or Mark Socks. Okay. Okay. And, and uh, whew. Man, the first time I ever heard that dude with Ken Crooked, I was automatically hooked. I'm like, this dude's going somewhere. I just, I never knew about all the history until after. It just, it's crazy how one app can change your whole life. Because, um, I'll keep it all the way a buck with you, too. I never thought I would interview Smith and Western, MOP, Fat Cat, Raz Kaz, all over Instagram. And this is what I love because I get a chance to talk to people from Detroit that I always dreamed of going to, and it's just like how everything that I thought it would be, too, like, straight, to, like, you know the almighty dreadnoughts, right? Oh, of course, I've been doing shows with them for years, oh my gosh, yeah. uh, I'm, we, we used to do battles, and I would be in a battle, and by the end of the night, just to get to the finals, I didn't have to battle three members of the crew, and it's like, <laughs> it's like 30,000 dreadnoughts. <laughs> and was this in the, the dungeon? No, no, not in the dungeon. I, I do know about the dungeon, but um, Super MC used to co-host a um, a Monday night battle, and you know we'd be in the tournament. And I swear, there's no way you could make it to the finals without battling at least one member of the Dreadnoughts. And then we'd probably be in the parking lot after it, and you're gonna have to battle a couple more. It was all in fun, you know. Um, you know, the Dreadnoughts, they've been doing anything for years. Um, oh, yeah. Been doing shows, shows with them forever. Legends. Um, I actually did a six-part series on them for my season three finale. See? That's what I'm saying. You know, Dreadnoughts been killing stuff for a while. Um, actually, let me see. Uh, several Earlier this year, well, we in 2020, what am I talking about? Um, earlier this year, I hosted a show. Um, cause I, ho I host a monthly here in Detroit. Okay. Uh, Guilty. Yeah. Guilty was one of the featured acts. Um, so, you know, we, uh, I hosted another show with, uh, A-R-E-S, which of course is, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I hosted their release party here and, uh, Super MC was on the bill. Guilt was on the bill. Uh, DJ Los was one of the DJs for the night because, of course, he's in a red eye smoking. So, oh, yeah, those, those are my dudes. Okay. And um, I understand, too, that, you know, uh, the very first guest I ever had, Kid Vicious. Yeah, Kid Vicious does his thing, man. Um, you know, good good looking on the uh, on the recommend, Vish. Um, Vish is really, I think he's really about to have a phenomenal year. Oh, I yeah. really do. Yeah, because the the records he was releasing in 2019 looks like he was just getting ready for something for this year. I was like, yo, you you got to release something, man. These singles are killing it. But if you release a full body of work at this time, whoo. Yeah, I, I think he's strategically, I don't know what the plan is, 
but I can just just watching how he move a little bit from from afar. I'm like, yeah, Vish got something up his sleeve. He is the head alien, so you know he won't give away his secrets of what he got coming up to. Um, so I was curious, what were you performing when Prince Poe compared your stage presence to Master Killer? Where the hell did you see that? What? I actually, <laughs> I actually heard it somewhere, but yeah, uh, I'll let you know that after. That's crazy. Um, it's interesting that he said, I mean, because when I rock, I rock with a lot of energy on stage, but um, I was able to bring Poe to town. Um, because of MySpace. We met because of MySpace. Wow, okay. And yeah. There used to be this really cool venue here called Fifth Avenue, which was inside of Comerica Park, which is where the Detroit Tigers play. So on the bill that night, it was uh, a group called Lawless Element, who's also from Detroit. Um, I don't know if they still record. I haven't seen Lawless Element in years. But, um, but they did their thing. And Prince Poe was the headliner, and I and he actually yeah he he said after the show he was he was listening to me rap and he said I, I had like a master killer vibe going on I said what <laughs> but but I wasn't mad at that because I always thought that master killer was mad underrated yeah um, I say that like, too you mad underrated yeah like his his verse on um assassination day on the Ghostface album Ooh. I'm like. That guy, he said, temptation tempts my victim to proceed uh, forward. What did he say? Uh, you rather pursue death than admit defeat. I'm like, this guy is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> this was yeah, in 96, so, so 97 this is coming out. Yeah, you know. So, so for Poe, you know, obviously coming from organized confusion, for him to say that about me, I'm like, I, I must be doing something right, you know. Well, that must have gave you, like, a great load of confidence, too, because I understand that you used to listen to Organized Confused and uh, the Stress album in high school. Hell yes. Well, actually, when that album dropped, I was a freshman in college. Okay. But, yeah, when when, when Stress dropped. But, of course, when when their, their first album dropped, I was in high school. But, but when Stress dropped, I'm like, I mean, everything about that album, from the cover, the subject matter, um, the titles, uh, the different jazz samples, <clears throat> um, they were ridiculous. And, and they, they had a big hand in production, too. Something I didn't know until years later. Did you know that Organized Confusion produced um, uh, Funk Soul Sensation by Gemini the Gifted One? What? Yeah. Yeah. I really wish I would have knew that yeah. when Poe was on the show. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I, I had posted something about it online a while ago, and I think he called me up that same day. I was like, yo, did you know that, that uh, me and Mosh produced that? I said, what? <laughs> 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 you know, I had no clue. You know, I'm assuming that, and when I think about it, it really didn't sound like a typical Buck Wild beat, but I was assuming that might have been like, you know, Buck Wild or, or, or somebody like that. But not, I was organized confusion on the beat. Wow. And see, like, a lot of people don't know, like, certain facts like that, too, unless you're really into the culture. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, something that I something that I hit some people with, you know, I, I, a lot of people know this, but a lot of people don't. But here's a random fact. 
my man's my my great friend Batian, rest in peace. Do you know who that is? That's singing on the hook to um, uh, climax. Is that Batian? Uh, this the single climax. Batian's sister Tina is who's singing on that hook. Really? Yeah. Rest in peace to her too. By the way. Oh, R.I.P. I had no idea did she transitioned. Yeah, she she did. Uh, yes, sir. But uh, yeah, but that was Batian's sister Tina. Um, you oh. if you if you just do go down a rabbit hole, you can find Tina on a couple of tracks with Dwelle. Um, okay. She used to call. This, yeah, you you can yeah see that. And this was previous to. Uh, the more known Dwelle albums. Okay. Um, I think she has a cut on the Rise album, and um, maybe a couple other cuts with Dwelle. Yep. Um, but what what I asked before, um, when was your first time in initially meeting Batten too? Because I understand that he was the first, or if, if not the first, to take you under his wing. Uh, when I first met Batten, what a crazy story. Um. I was at St. Andrews. I think it was, I think it was JD's birthday. Okay. And it was like 2001, 2000 or 2001. And, you know, I'm just going to St. Andrews. And I remember as I walked, we got this thing in Detroit where sometimes we may not stop and speak to you. We just kind of throw our head up at you. Like, just, just like to say, what up? And so I threw my head up and he threw his head up too. And when I came out the bathroom, I'm walking back up the stairs and he literally stops me. And he says, and it's crazy because here's another story where I probably had a few too many beers. (laughs) He stops me and he says, what's up, man? I don't know why I'm telling you this, man, but I see visions of you. You, you got this most deaf aura about you. I'm like, ah, man, another one of these cats, you know, <laughs> you know, talking about most deaf to me and stuff. I'm like, what is this all about? He's like, no, no, no. He listen. He's like, man, I'm telling you, I see you going places and people flocking to you. And this is blowing my mind because I'm like, dude, you're Slum Village. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, you're I, telling me, you're, you're Slum Village. You know what I'm saying? And I'm like, you don't know my name. I was literally just telling you, what's up? You've never seen me rap. Like, what are you talking about? So I'm like, I pulled out my phone. I said, forget this. I don't know if I'm drunk or not, but dude, we're going to exchange contact information right now. (laughs) (laughs) So we exchanged contact information. And I think that was a Friday. Um, About a week later, I went over to his house, um, his apartment, and... We just kicked it like half the day. I remember I was playing him some music that my homie Doc Kim, my brother Doc Kim produced, and he was feeling it. And I remember he got up and he said, dude, I would be honored if you let me play these unreleased JD tracks for you. I said, what? (laughs) (laughs) I lost my mind. (laughs) Are you kidding me? So... He emerges with this, um, with this, this, this JD beat tape, who, if you ever hear anybody talking about these beat tapes, 
some of these beats might be anywhere from three to six seconds. And then they'll cut off and you'll be like, oh, why didn't he keep going with that? And then the next one come on and you'll forget about the last one that he just played. So he was playing some random joints and I'm losing my mind like, wow. So that day, um, you know, we just decided to be cool. Um, I remember he asked me, was I hungry? And he made some rice and a baked potato. It was the biggest baked potato I've ever seen in my life. And and he told me, he's like, man, to me, uh, eating with someone is, is sacred, is spiritual. So, you know, I broke bread with him that day and it just blew my mind. And we were just friends ever since that day. Wow. And some and and that's what like makes something like so genuine too is actually sharing a meal with someone too because it shows like they want to engage in the conversation and say, I'm eating, I'm not gonna eat in front of you <laughs> <laughs> You know? Okay. You know, and you know, just for him to open up his home that day and you know, later on I ended up um meeting his son, uh Majesty and it was weird because Majesty was only about two or three years old at that time. And, you know, he couldn't really talk very well. I mean, he, you know, some kids develop at different ages. Yeah. It didn't mean he was, quote unquote, dumb or nothing. He just, you know, his speech hadn't all the way developed. But Titus would speak to his son because uh, Titus spoke Hebrew fluently. Okay. And, like, if you listen to what's the song? Um, is it called Get Live? I think Scott Storch produced it for Slum Village. Um, the song when when Tian, he, when he starts his verse, he's rapping in Hebrew. Yeah, I, I believe it's called Get It Live or Get Live. It's one of the two. Yeah. Yeah, so that was no gimmick. He literally speaks Hebrew. So he would speak Hebrew to his son, and his son would respond back to him, and that blew my mind. Oh, wow. Like, yeah, yeah like, like two or three years old. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, man. And that's like one of the most hardest um, languages to learn besides English I read somewhere. Yeah, it is. I mean, he he could speak it, and I think he could write it, too. I mean, he was a deeply spiritual brother. Um, He was a good brother. And we actually, um, before he passed, we were working on an album together. Um, We called ourselves Planet Pluto, and... There was a cat from Norway named Intac that sent me a bunch of beats, and Intac was producing all. We'll put it. I'll put it out one day, but it's. I don't know. It's kind of tough just listening to some of those songs sometimes. Yeah, because I understand that was your friend before anything. Yeah, yeah, and and I just, you know, too, I, I shelved it because I didn't want people to think that I was, you know, trying to capitalize off of his death. Um, I didn't want anybody trying to bootleg it. Um, you know, I, you know, I wanted, I wanted this to be special. And plus I wanted to make sure that his mother knew about it as well. Yeah. You cause, know, so. Cause I understand that, um, it's six tracks and you wanted to get the blessing of his family before you actually put it out there to the world. But I like how you said that you kind of put it on the back because you don't want people to think, oh, he's trying to capitalize off of um, Titus passing. Or... So I fully understand that, too. Like, you want to be very protective of his legacy. Yeah, you know, because he meant a lot to me, you know. So I wanted it to just be something that was uh, special because um, he was a great friend of mine. Um, I broke bread um, at his mother's house. 
uh, even my mother went over to his house and we, we had a meal um, with her, you know, so that's something that's always going to be sacred to me. Okay. And see, and that, those type of things, money can never buy. Like those type of memories, money can never buy that. Yeah, never ever, you know, so, you know, we've actually, uh, my crew Butter made, we, we actually put together a couple of tributes uh, for him um, and the money that was made that night, uh, we took to the estate and then we took up a separate donation uh, for his mother as well. But um, the one thing about tributes, especially if it's somebody close to you, it can really pull you know, tug at the, the strings of your heart. So we did a couple of tributes, and I told him, I said, yo, I can't do too many more of these. <laughs> you know, like like next time, let's, let's, you know, go bowling and, you know, do something in his honor. Because these music, I'm getting off on another level, but one thing I hate about these music tributes <clears throat> is, and I, I love JD, I love Dilla, I love his family. Um, people only come around when it's about music. And then when it's not about music no more, these people disappear, yeah. you know. And they it's not keeping the spirit alive from them. It's like, or even like what Firstborn does for Proof, like he just shows the viewing of um of a documentary, but there's no music played enough, and they just everyone gets together and just remembers them. And that's because that's his friend, and that's why I can always respect Firstborn because with him and Proof, it's deeper than music, you know. Uh, with, with me and Titus, it's, it's not just about music because when you're breaking bread, you're meeting family members. I remember changing my son's diaper in, in his mother's living room. Oh, wow. <laughs> See, that's a, that's a different beyond of a like, music relationship. Like That's like lifelong friendships. Yeah, yeah, you know. And speaking of Proof and Batien, uh they were working on tracks. There's like, there's at least four Batian and Proof tracks floating. First may have a copy, I'm not sure. I was going to say, probably Snoop has it, because I heard Snoop has a major collection, and he even shared some some stories of, on the show about how he has a lot of unreleased stuff, so I, I, I'm guessing Snoop probably has it. Yeah, I would love to hear it. I know Snoop and Proof were majorly cool, you know, so that would... Um, I hope the world can get a chance to hear that, but you know, you know, they they probably looking at the situation like me, you know, all in good time, you know, not just trying to capitalize off nobody. They genuinely love proof, and that's that's a good thing. And, and and that's the thing too. Like when it's genuinely, people won't have to question it. Exactly. Exactly. Now, one of your most um, it's, actually, I love this album too because it just like. It's really a Detroit album, even straight down to the cover, uh, Canvas of Hope. Even, like, the intro, 76 Ford LTD, which I wish you would have rapped over, but I understand, I understand. <laughs> oh, you like the 10,000th person that just said that? Yes, sir. Well, I did that on purpose because... Um, well, first of all, that's part one in a three-part series okay. that I'm dedicating to Detroit. Okay, I heard I heard you mention something like that before in a in a Detroit Unplugged interview, but I wasn't too sure this was the first one. Yeah, this is part one, and I didn't know this was gonna happen. This album happened by accident. Um, okay. My homie Mefta produced the whole thing, and I was just going to his spot, you know, to maybe record a song. 
But beat after beat, he kept playing. I'm like, dude, this is crazy. So next thing I know, we ended up doing an album. And that particular track, it's called that because my father, rest in peace, used to have a big, long Ford LTD. So I wanted to reminisce about Detroit. So to me, that reminded me of, of nighttime, doing about 30 miles per hour, literally riding through the streets of Detroit. And that's the album opener. The album ender is Augustus, which was my father's first name. Oh, okay. Because, okay. See, this is why I love when artists do interviews, too, because it gives you more appreciation when you go back and listen to the project, knowing that what they put into it instead of just saying, what if? Now we actually know. Yeah. Yeah, that, that was done purposely. And, and it's, it's a, I don't know, I hate to put a box around it, but it's a jazzy track because jazz is my favorite music, like, by far. And... My father is who introduced me to jazz. So I'm like, okay, let's just call it Augustus, <laughs> you know? And I like how you said um, how the intro is like you driving 30 miles down in Detroit on the streets. When I was playing that, driving through the blocks of my neighborhood, it felt like I was in Detroit when I was hearing that through the speakers. I was like, and then it goes into fine-tuning with Jay Connery. It's like, wow. Yeah, you know, my man's uh, my man's John Connery, Smash Television once again. Like that beat, you know, it's, it when when Mefta when I heard it, it sounded like a Smash Television song. You know, it sounded like the type of demeanor. So I'm like, yo, you know, get on this record, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and, and there we have it. Okay, and would you, you guys are still Smash Television to this day? Like, would you guys ever consider putting out another group album? Hell yes. Uh, we, um, you know, life gets in the way sometimes. Yes. Uh, so we haven't been, I mean, he, he's done, um, since we recorded that album, I think he's done like two or three other, because he's in a couple other groups. Um, then he's done solo stuff. You know, then he's got a family, you know, so we'll, we'll, we'll definitely get together again because a lot of people um, have been asking about it. And, and my whole thing is like, well, dang, y'all asking about that? Well, did y'all buy this first album? <laughs> yeah. Did you hear Idiot Box or the 90s themed after one after that? You, you said what now? I'm sorry? Like, did they hear, like, Idiot Box or the 90s inspired Hidden Gems after that? Uh, maybe. Um, see, we used to do a lot of shows, and we literally a couple of shows we literally did smash a couple of televisions and, um, <laughs> I mean I, I, I mean I would I would expect that I would I would I would want to see something something get smashed in a smash television show Yeah I mean well you know what I mean we didn't start off doing that but you know people kept asking so we was like hey bring a television and we'll do it <laughs> and no I, I I'm not even kidding we did a show one place and they literally told me in a room, they, they had like a crowbar and some other tools back there and said, yeah, go ahead and smash this television. I'm like, are you sure? <laughs> so, I don't know if there's video footage, but that was so much fun. Well, yeah. Man, that was so fun. <laughs> and you gotta mention too, like, um, this is a television you're smashing. This isn't like something like a computer where it's little. This is a big fucking screen you're smashing. 
Yeah, and, and it was crazy because uh, my stupid behind, I remember I was depressed a little bit one night doing the show, and I was just happy to get out the house. So I decided to punch the television screen. <laughs> and, and I remember I remember my homie Doc Illingsworth, I remember his now wife, uh, it was his girlfriend back then. I can just remember her saying, oh, no, leave. <laughs> you know, I can just hear her voice <laughs> as, I, as I punched this TV screen like two or three times. But it was such a stress reliever that I wasn't even mad. <laughs> so. Yeah, sometimes you do get to that point where you do hit something. You don't even like, I'm not even mad anymore. I'm good. I, what, it was like, um, have you seen Office Space before? I haven't. I'll keep it all the way in mail. Oh, man, Office Space is one of my favorite movies ever made. Make sure you watch that tonight. I'm okay, well, I'm you. definitely, I'm always looking for something new to watch. I'll definitely write that down. And it's, it's a particular scene in that movie. When you see it, you're going to be like, I, I want you to, to DM me immediately when you see this picture of me punching this TV screen <laughs> and picture this. This one scene in the movie, you'd be like, that's what Leaf was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I definitely will do that. Yes, sir. <laughs> and I put hashtag smash television. Yes, do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so continuing on into the album, too, um, when I got to the track, I was already impressed by the first three tracks, but when I got to rescue mission i i kid you not i replayed that track like at least three times in a row to be like this shit right here i love this because i love music with a with a meaning behind it too and when i heard rescue mission i was like this is like what i needed to start off 2020 with too because it's just something about detroit and the artists that come out of it too it's just some kind of connection to it that i feel and just like i really can't wait to interview this guy Wow, um, <clears throat> that's actually it's probably one of my favorites, maybe my second favorite song on the album. Um, but that's that second verse. Um, just a quick backstory: I used to work a job, and uh, this lady, um, she had just moved back into a house because she was homeless for a minute, and she was so excited about everything that was going on. I used to work at DTE and the Salvation Army was there and I was telling this lady about these um, energy efficient things we were going to do to her home and she had tears in her eyes and the rescue mission, um, it's a place here called Detroit Rescue Mission, that's where I was that day. So I wrote that song about her because, you know, my thing is, you know, working with the rescue mission and seeing all these people who were about to be put on the street or, you know, just didn't know which way they were going to turn next. Um, that was my dedication to them and her. Oh, so that's why it's called Rescue Mission, because it's because it's like what you said, too. This has is a three part album dedicated to Detroit, too. But I was wondering, like, why is it called? Re well, OK, now I see that Detroit connection between that. Yeah. Yeah. Literally, probably. Pretty much every, I'm going to guess, because, you know, I ain't going to lie, I can't remember all the titles sometimes unless I look at the CD, <laughs> but, but literally every song title on there, we can go song by song, and I even think I mentioned the stories in the band camp, it's a reason why those titles, I didn't just randomly 
pick a, you know, call a track John Cena or something like that. Yeah. Like, it, it literally has a meaning to Detroit and what was going on at that time. Well, it's like what you said, too. Like, even with um, Detroit before hip-hop, it was um, mostly rock and even gospel. And then you have for track 10, gospel from the North End. Yeah, gospel, the studio I recorded at um, is in the North End um, of Detroit. And I was then that's actually my favorite song on the album. Um, okay. I was going, that was me talking to myself. Um, and, and when I say gospel, <clears throat> because Detroit is a big gospel city, the North End is where I recorded that song. So that's why I say I'm speaking a gospel from the North End because... You know, that was me giving my testimony. Oh, so that was like a very personal track for you. Very personal. That That's why that track is so close to Congregation on the album. Because Congregation is about, you know, sometimes when people come into church, they have a lot on their mind, and they maybe be, they might be embarrassed to say what's going on. So that's why we're saying, lay your burdens on the line at the Congregation, you know. And, and you hear that Baptist preacher, um, that preacher is uh, Reverend C.L. Moore, um, who was a blind pastor. And, but that's him preaching on that. I was saying, too, did you get the pastor to do that um, initially for the album? Or is that something that you just had around and you always knew you were going to use it for something? Now, he actually um, is his past. Uh, that's off a of vinyl um, sermon that he did um because because back in the 70s and 60s um vinyl in the 50s as well uh pastors putting their sermon on vinyl was a big thing a big thing so so when i went to the studio because that song was missing something i kept telling mefta i said something is missing on that song so i went to his house to his studio that day and i had vinyl of cl franklin and vinyl of C.L. Moore. So we put that C.L. Moore sermon on, and he was dropping some gems. And um, we were looking at each other like, man, we got to use this. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what it was missing. Yeah, that, that's because the message that he was speaking, I'm like, man, somebody really needs to hear this, you know? So we decided just to incorporate. And it's cool because you can hear the background of people talking. Um, like, it's one thing he said, and you can hear somebody in the background going, Lord have mercy. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I initially thought that you had, like, just recorded on your phone or something like that. I was like, I, but I never knew it was on vinyl. Yeah, that, that's straight off the vinyl. Wow. And see, this is the thing, too, I love about vinyl, too. Vinyl, um, last year there was something in, the, um, in Forbes that vinyl outsold CDs for the first time in, like, 20 years. I was like, Jesus Christ. I love it. I love it. Well, vinyl has a very different sound, and I keep telling people my age, too. I'm like, yo, did you ever hear Black Moon enter the stage on a vinyl? Like, forget the digital. Did you ever hear this on vinyl? Oh, my God. It's so different. Yeah, vinyl, to me, is warm. Yes, that's that's the saying, warm. Yeah, it's warm, and you have a connection. Um, I used to... I think I had my first record player when I was, it's, it's funny, it's, it's amazing I wasn't a DJ, because when I was little, the first thing I would do is wake up, this is what was told to me, 
I would wake up and run to my record player. And I was maybe one or two. And I would just, you know, put my Rick James records on or my, or my Parliament. I was, I was a huge Rick James, Denise Williams, Earth, Wind and Fire uh, Parliament fan when I was a little kid. Uh, Prince, you know, so. Legends. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? So that's how I would start my morning off, I was told. I mean, I don't remember all of that, but that's what my mom and dad and babysitter are like, oh, as soon as you wake up, you just run to your record player. <laughs> you <know? laughs> well, and it, it even showed like later throughout time, too, like within your music, too, because you put a lot of thought and passion to in your music. Well, yeah, I, I tried. I mean, honestly, and, and I appreciate you saying that, um, with this particular album that came out in March of 2019, I didn't know what was happening. I mean, again, this was literally an accident that we did an album. But you can't call it an accident. It was meant to be. But Because yeah. everything but happens that, for a reason. It does. It does. But but that wasn't my intention. It's just Mefta's a great guy. The music just was on point, And I would just go home. And I would be typing lyrics in my phone and, you know, on my lunch breaks, I'd be, you know, adding more lyrics. And then next thing I know, I'd hit him up like, dude, I got another one. And he'd be like, come through, let's record. And we just knock it out. And was there that when you were putting this together, too, when you went track by track, besides the intro, too, did you have to put these tracks in the order of you recorded them? Or did you have to mix and match them to get the, like, the perfect sound that it is now? Because it's an experience when you listen to this album. That's a good question. Um, the, the first track recorded was fine-tuning. Um, I think we started... Because when I went over his house, it was like September of 20... 2017. Okay. Because the album was initially supposed to be called Fall Equinox. That's why on the song West Grand Boulevard, I say, this is the Fall Equinox, because that was supposed to be the name of the album. Oh. And which was, yeah, it, it was literally, it was going to be a shout out to John Coltrane. But, you know, life happens, so we couldn't get everything done in time. And he start, He said it before me. Um, he was afraid to say it. Not afraid, but he didn't know how I would take it. He's like, man, I think we should change the title of the album. And I was like, man, I knew you was going to say that. Because the album was starting to take a new meaning. You know, it didn't come out in the fall after all. So I still, you know, West Grand Boulevard is... I don't care about giving away secrets. I don't care what nobody say. <clears throat> It's a John Coltrane sample. Okay. Um, yeah, Equinox, which is my favorite. When when I went to his, his studio that day, I had Equinox with me. And I said, I want you to make a beat out of this. And he made a beat out of that in like 20 minutes. Um, I recorded my verse. And that song is about me riding around streets like West Grand Boulevard, Linwood, Livernois, with my father, listening to John Coltrane. You know, so that's why I said we used to roll down the boulevard, block star soon as we pull up, because everywhere I went with my father, he knew someone everywhere we went, whether it was the gas station, a restaurant. It didn't matter. Everybody always be like, hey, Gus. Hey, Gus. I'm like, how, how do you know, you know everyone? 
Yeah, it was crazy. So, so that track was, you know, shout out to me hanging with my dad. Okay. And it's also, too, like, keeping true to your roots, too, with this album, too. It's just amazing how it came out without it being initially planned. Yeah, you, you know, we, we just, we, we took our time, you know. Like, as I said, we started recording uh, September 2017. Um, it didn't come out to March of 2019. You know, I know Extra P said, don't say the years, but, you know, <laughs> just from just from a timeline standpoint, uh, that's what we were dealing with. So so different moods on the album started to happen. Um, the title of Canvas of Hope, um, I got that from a preacher. He was, I can't remember his name or what church he came from, but I don't think he's from Detroit. And when he was preaching, he said, A Canvas of Hope. So I said, oh, that's the name of the album. And the picture, the front cover is a house that's about two blocks from me uh, that is now demolished. It's, it's an empty lot. But when that house stood, when I took that picture, I kind of, you know, made it grainy on purpose. Because when you look at a house, the foundation was still there. Yes. But you know what I'm saying? But but they had stripped the house. So the foundation was still there. It just needed a little bit of love. But two weeks later, they knocked the house down. Oh, but I love how you include that in your in your initial album cover for this, too, because it really does fit the criteria of it. Yeah. Yeah, and, and then the guy that was, um, you know, helping with in terms of the layout, he asked me, did I want to clean it up? I said, nah, because this is Detroit. You know, I want it to look gritty on purpose, you know. So when I shot the picture for the back cover... You know, I wanted that to be a little bit gritty, too, so you can see, you know, I think you can maybe see a couple of cigarette butts on the ground and, you know, just like the grain from the street. Um, I did that on purpose. To give that real Detroit vibe to it. Yeah, to, to give that vibe. And then and then when, when you look at the cover, like when I honestly, when I look at the front cover, it looks like a 70s rock album to me. Like, like, you know, that would have been said that. Oh. You know, like that would have been the cover of like the Eagles or Led Zeppelin or something <laughs> yeah, like. <yeah. laughs> I can see know? it. I definitely see it. You know, so you know, we we just we just tried to keep it as as as, as much as representative of of what the street and what the soul of Detroit is. Okay, and I like how you said keeping it the soul of Detroit too, because I was always waiting for like an album to feature like over 40 Detroit artists and just, like, a whole album of Detroit artists. And then when I seen, like, Apollo Brown come out of this album featured only Detroit artists, I was just like, yo, this is what I've been waiting for. I was like, this right here is going to showcase Detroit's talent to the fullest. And I'm glad Apollo Brown did it because that's like, Jesus Christ. I have Jay Dilla probably would have did something like this if he was still here to this day because RIP to the great Jay Dilla. We lost him way too soon. We did, we did, we did. Um, actually, years ago, House Shoes did an album like that, and a couple of years ago, Nick Speed did an album like that. But Ooh. the difference, yeah, I think maybe one or two years ago, um, Nick Speed did an album like that. The difference with Apollo Brown is, you know, this was um, Mellow Music Group, number one, 
number two, Apollo Brown has a lot of good momentum going on. And then number three, it was just the timing. You know, the fall is my favorite season. So for him to drop that album in late October, <clears throat> you know, right in, you know, right when the fourth quarter is starting in October, his timing was impeccable. Yeah. You can definitely tell it was well thought out, too, because I like how he said it was like a lot of... Because there's a difference between there was the Apollo one, too, because the memento that he has with the albums he produced with Planet Asia, Raz Kaz, Guilty Simpson, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was it was, It was. was a good look. I mean, you know, when, when he reached out to me to, uh, to get on the album, um, I was, you know, I was honored you know because you know the track that i'm on you know my my good brother finale um, i've known finale for years uh finale's my favorite rapper you know so to be on a song with him and then you know circle it back you just mentioned you know jd illa j to be on the track yes, you know so to me the way he matched up people on the songs man i mean he literally if that's not the album of the year, it's definitely a candidate. It should definitely be mentioned. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a big fact right there, too. Because even with the guests, like on how he plays, like each guest, like, or even like with um, Royce and Fat Cat, too, like, I was like, and the cuts by Los, I was like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah. Los was, and I think, and Dez is on the album, too, um, I believe, but it was just crazy. When you sit back and, you know, listen to, and, and real quick, by the way, when he reached out to me and told me that all of these artists were going to be on the album, I thought he was freaking nuts. I, I'm thinking because he told me that he's like, yo, I need you to get your verse back because I'm getting ready to go tour Europe. So I'm thinking to myself, you're going to get 50 plus artists on one album. You need it mixed and mastered before you leave for Europe. I didn't tell him this. But I thought he was losing his mind. I'm like, there's no way you're going to get this. So I'm, I've got an email alert um, from Mellow Music Group that the album was out. And I'm like, he pulled it off. I don't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, he really did it. He really did it. Because like, I, couldn't, I couldn't understand how you could get that many people and get them on one album and with everything he was working with and you know a, a lot of times some people say oh y'all ain't gonna be able to get Detroit to do it but you know time and time again we prove it wrong like I said Nick Speed just did one not too long ago and House Shoes did one years ago so it can be done but with his timing and with his momentum yeah. that's what made this you know kind of like okay yeah th th this is the one or well, even to the title, too, like Sincerely Detroit, too. I was like, this is the one. Sincerely Detroit. And and, and this cat's on there that I haven't heard rap in a while. Um, it's cat's on there that spit some of the best verses. Um, like, uh, that Trick Trick verse is insane. Yeah, I've been hearing a lot of feedback from that on that Trick Trick verse on Longevity. I'm like, I mean, literally, I remember I had to rewind his verse. I'm like, wait a minute. What? <laughs> you know? <laughs> Triple OG uh, uh, murdered that. <laughs> you know, uh, Fat Ray, 
Um, oh, Blue's a Brigade. Yeah, valid. I mean, the list goes on and on. Everybody ripped on that album. Everybody. And it, and it, I was curious, too, um, when that album came out, too, because when I interviewed Catchphrase, too, he's like, I didn't know I was on the album until it came out. And I, so I was curious. <laughs> I was curious. Was your phone going crazy when that album came out? Yeah, it, it's two things that happened for me this year where people just started hitting me up out of nowhere. Um, that, I was getting inboxes and calls from people who hadn't even know had my phone number. Um, and so it was really a good look. <clears throat> but the other thing, probably the biggest thing for me that happened this year outside of releasing an album and executive producing another album was um, uh, my good friend Jamel Hill has a podcast um, on Spotify and I did the theme song for her. That was probably my biggest moment of 2019. Wow. So you actually have an intro for a podcast out there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because I mean, even though, you know, that was a business thing, you know, that's someone I've been friends with for 35 years, you know, so to be able to get an opportunity like that, yeah, because, you know, Jamel Hill's name is just, you know, all over, you know, from the time that she worked at ESPN to to other endeavors that she has. That was just a really good look. So I got to give her her props. But to the question that you asked me uh, with Apollo Brown, I knew I was going to be on, on the album. You know, he reached out to me. Um, he had already laid it out like, yo, you know, just make sure you get in touch with these guys. Here's the beat. Boom. I said, okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's no question, because when Apollo H.I., it's no games. You know what I'm saying? But the only catch was um, I had to get it back to him in, like, the four days or something. No, it was about a week. I think that's what it was. And um, um, my man's Mefta that produced the album, A Canvas of Hope, I remember when I went over to him, I said, you got to keep this secret. He said, really, what's going on? I said, Apollo said, don't tell nobody nothing. So when he pulled up the file to the beat, he, I remember he cursed. He was like, holy, <laughs> what, what is this? You know? I said, I can't talk about it right now, but just know when it drops, this is something big. So there we have it. Oh, wow. And then the rest is history after that, too. The rest is history, you um. know, so. And it's even more crazy when I think about what you just said about you having the intro to um, your friend's podcast because she used to work for ES, uh, Jamel Harris for ESPN. It's yeah. crazy how you used to be a sport and a high school sports reporter and now you actually have this intro on this podcast intro of uh, somebody who used to be very affiliated with ESPN. It just That's really crazy, that full circle on how it comes for you. Well, I mean, we've, that's kind of how it all started. I mean, before a podcast was a podcast, you know, when I was in fourth grade, she was in fifth grade, we'd be on the phone talking about sports all day, you know? So when she ended up getting the job there and, you know, she left ESPN on her own terms to do other things. And, you know, she's got the podcast on Spotify where she's interviewed everybody from, uh, Charles Barkley to Ice Cube, you know. So she's 
you know, people know who she is. So for her to reach out to me when she could have had probably Cube or T.I. or Snoop or some of her other guests do the theme song, she reached out to me and asked me to do it. So, you, you know, you can't. You, you can't buy that type of friendship. Yeah, and that's very loyal, too, to, to remember someone for after all those years, too. But it just shows, like, the person the, the person who you are. Yeah, I mean, she, she's a very, very gracious person, you know. And, you know, like I said, you know, from everybody she's had on our show, uh, uh, from from Black Thought to, Ooh. you know... Yeah, she yeah she's had him on the show, you know. So she's, you know, had all of these type of of A list players on there. So, you know, that's that's just a a real good look, and I really love her for doing that. And and also too, when people tune in too, they hear your voice as soon as it starts. Yeah, yeah. As soon as the show starts, you know, you you, you hear my voice, you know. So that that still kind of blows my mind sometimes. Like, wow. When like, you're listening to really it, when you're listening happened. to it, it's like, wow, that's me on the intro. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean that that was just a real a real good look. Um, I'm just I'm just real happy for all the the things that she's doing. Um, I was I was just at her wedding in November, you know. So that was just you know beautiful to see and. You know, she's still as gracious as she's always been when I met her when I was in fourth grade. And and, and those type of people, too, are very genuine, too, and you always hold, hold near and dear to your heart. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, she was the reason why I got the job at the Detroit Free Press. I mean, she was working there in high school, too. And she knew I loved sports. She said, hey, um, call up the um, the sports editor. I had a telephone interview. And a week later, I got the job at age 15, working at the Detroit Free Press, not delivering papers, but literally working in the sports department, getting my name in the paper. Like, that was, like, insane. Like, like real journalism, not being the paper boy, like, making the stories people are reading. You know what I'm saying? I mean, <laughs> and, and not trying to knock anybody that delivers paper, but I was literally there, you know, in the... Tri- like, <laughs> funny story, I was in the office the night... The NBA Finals were interrupted, Houston versus the Knicks. Why were the Finals interrupted? Because O.J. Simpson was on a slow-speed car chase on the highway in his Bronco. I was at work that night. (laughs) (laughs) And and I remember they had the split screen. They had the Finals on one side and and O.J. and his Bronco on the other side. I said, get out of here. (laughs) It's like, who is this? Yeah, we did. I mean, we were freaking out. Like, you know, we had to turn on the phone. Like, what is this interrupting the finals? I think they were more mad about the finals being interrupted than, than the other thing. You know? <laughs> um, well, um, well, Leif Erickson, too. Um, I'm very glad that you are the first uh, guest for 2020, and you're a very genuine soul. Um, this is a question that I ask everybody at the end of each episode. Now, the reason why I ask this question at the end of each episode, before my podcast, when I used to listen to interviews, I used to want to hear the artist say something very motivational or inspirational because I always looked for those things in the interviews, and it could be even like a like a ten second clip, but it, that 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 quote they say can change your entire day. So maybe there's somebody out there who really looks up to you and, and is kind of in a dark space, So and they really need to hear some motivation. So with that being said, 
Do you have any words for somebody in a dark place trying to see the light? Keep God first and don't try to do it alone. Uh, whatever you're going through, just know that you're not alone. Period. And the reason why I asked that question is too is because nobody can ever answer that question the same as well. Like nobody that I asked that question to can ever answer it the same. Like or just get over it. Like like I think the only person who ever said get over it was Razkaz the very first time I interviewed him. <laughs> shout out to Razkaz, that's my guy. He came back after that, but yeah, shout out to Raz. Yeah, Raz is a beast, no <laughs> doubt. You know, but no, seriously, I mean, just to expound really quick, and I know, you know, we're wrapping up. Um, mental illness is a serious thing. Depression is a serious thing. Yes. So if, if, if you're going through it, you know, just find someone to talk to. And and I know it's hard because sometimes people, you know, put your business in the streets and all that. Yeah. But don't don't do it alone. You know, that's, that's, do not do it alone because whether you know it or not, somebody loves you. And and people need to hear that more often. They need to hear the words, I love you. You know, I appreciate you. You're my brother. Because you never know what those words can do for somebody. Exactly. You never know. Or even like a smile can change somebody's whole day. Exactly. Exactly. So, that's what it is. Or even too, like with, um mental health starting to be more in the forefront too like music is a tool for that too so if it, or even even if you don't want to talk to anybody go listen to Leif Erikson's verse on Let Him Go and it will change your whole mood <laughs> hey man I, I appreciate that and and really the song um, Gospel from the North End that's about depression yeah. Oh, yeah. Literally. Yes, sir, it is. You know, literally, you know, so, you know, whoever's out there going through it, just know somebody loves you, somebody cares about you. And, um, you know, don't don't be afraid. I know it's hard sometimes, but somebody out there does love you. And there's always light at the end of the tunnel, too. Absolutely. Absolutely. I gotta give a big shout out to my guy Kid Vicious, man, because if it wasn't for him, I don't think I would be here anymore, because that dude showed me my real passion in life, so I got a big thank to Kid Vicious for getting me out of that dark place on uh, June 15th, 2018. It's my guy right there. Wow. Well, big ups, Vish. I know you're about to have a huge year. Um, you and your brother Royce, I'm looking forward to whatever they about to do, because this man... <laughs> the Montgomery boys, those boys are different, different. Man, I, whatever they working on, I cannot wait to hear it, solo and duo. Or maybe even a Leaf Harrison and Vicious track in the future. Hey, 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 now hold on, shh. Okay. Don't tell nobody. Okay, no, no, okay, I'm just I'm no, we'll keep it. Let the listeners guess. No, we haven't talked about that, but if Vicious is down, I'm... Psh- I got the verse ready. It's already written. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Vince, we got you got to make that half, man. I want to hear you two, Cloud. Y'all make great chemistry together. Um, hey, is there anything you'd like to plug in before I let you go, Lee Erickson? Um, let me see here. If you want to reach out to me, um, you can hit me up on Instagram. I'll spell it M R E R I K S O N three one three, Mister Erickson three one three. 
Uh, shout out to my crew, Buttermaid. Uh, shout out to my homie, Lord Drew. We're working on Head Not Sweet Volume 2, which is a producer compilation that we executive produced the first one. We're working on the second one. Um, DJ Los actually did the cuts on the first one. Okay. Uh, we got, yeah, we got DJ Head doing the second one. You know, Ooh. so that's going to be pretty amazing. All right. Well, I'll definitely be tuned in for that, and I can't wait to see what 2020 brings you. Yes, sir. Yeah, definitely trying to do the thing. Also, the last thing, I, I mentioned it earlier, I've been hosting a monthly here called Jazzadelic. Yes. Um, at, and that takes place at Aretha's Jazz Cafe, which was named after Aretha Franklin. Uh, the guests we've had so far, uh, we've had Finale, Book Brown, Guilty Simpson, Miss Corona, Elijah Day from the Clear Soul Forces, and Awesome Dre. So, in 2020, look forward to real big things like we did in 2019. And with that being said, this is another classic interview. I know I say classic a lot, but I really do be dropping <laughs> classics, especially with my cats from Detroit. So with that being said, I'd like to welcome y'all to season six from the desk below, featuring my guy, Leif Erickson. What up, y'all? Now, I apologize for my voice. I'm getting over a cold, but 313-SB-158. Peace. Peace.